This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. All right. If you're a guest, we are thrilled that you're here with us this morning. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor at Christian Chapel, and you're joining us on the very first Sunday of Advent. We're kicking off a new series called The Light Has Come. So all month long and culminating with our Christmas Eve services, we're exploring what it looks like for Jesus's light to shine into our darkness, into every, every space and every place that we go. In John chapter 8, Jesus tells us this is why he came. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so what we're going to explore all month long from uh, prophecies about Jesus before he comes to the, the actual um, story of his first arrival on earth is how when Jesus shows up, it always brings light and his light always leads to life. Now, at Christmas time, light is a, a common thing for us, right? You, you've decorated your homes. How many of you have already decorated? Yes. How many of you have not yet decorated? How many of you will not be decorating? Okay, there's a few in every crowd. That's fine. Uh, so Friday, um, Angie and I, we were a little late getting our decorations up because we were out of town for Thanksgiving, went down to my brother's last weekend. And uh, so, so then we had a busy week this week, and we're kind of looking at the schedule like, well, when's the tree going up? And she worked Friday, and I was off on Friday. Um, and so I, I told her like, hey, I will, I'll put the tree up and I'll put the lights on it. Um, but I'm not putting the ornaments on because she has an opinion about the proper placement of each ornament, right? And I, like, I've made the mistake before. I thought I knew where a single ornament went on our tree. And I dared to hang it myself. Um, and it was fixed later. So, so I just knew. And so I, I got up and, and like, kids got off to school. Everything was working. Uh, got the tree out, put the lights on it. It was looking great. Did the whole thing. It was like one of these kind of nine foot skinny ones here behind me. So I got it all done. Lights top to bottom. She likes a lot of lights. So I put even more lights than we normally do on it. Got it done. I was feeling super proud of myself. I took a picture of it. I texted it to her, said, it's ready for you when you get home. I made a cup of coffee. I sat down on the couch. I literally put my feet up and all the lights went out. (laughs) And I I had this moment of like, this is why I can't do nice things for my wife, right? Because they they just don't go well a lot of times. And so I know some of you um, in the process, you would have chased down like the one light bulb and figured it out, or you would have checked all the fuses. Um, I, somehow I went straight to rage of like, none of this works. I hate it all. And I knew I had two old strands and everything else was new. So I determined I'll get rid of the two old strands. I'll go buy some new ones and then everything will work. But in the process of taking it off, I I don't know, at some point I got scissors and I was cutting light strands and ripping things out. Um, But, but bought the new lights, got all the new lights on, remembered that we always plug into two separate places and then they don't blow. So, so figure all this out. And Angie comes home. I'm putting on the last little ones around the top. She helped me with that. And I thought I'd taken out the trash with the cut up light strands because uh, you don't want that proof in your house that, you, no, I actually did. The best part, my mother-in-law was there. So she watched the whole process of me losing my mind and was telling me like, go on a bike ride. I'm like, I will finish this. Don't you have somewhere to go? Uh, you know, and, and so thought I, but I threw it all away. I took it out. Trash man hauled it off. I thought I'd got away with it. And about 10 o'clock Friday night, Angie looked by the back door and there's this little like two foot stretch of cut Christmas lights. She was like, what in the world? Why? What? And I was like, don't even worry about it. She's like, you, you cut the lights off the tree because you lost your temper, didn't you? I was like, 
Don't worry about it. The lights are on the tree. That's what you wanted. That's what I did, right? So the light has come. The good news, though, the light of Christ, not going to go out, right? No fuses, no little things. You're not going to have to lose your mind, start cutting off parts of the tree. You're not going to say things like, I don't even know why we decorate for Christmas. This isn't about Jesus anyways. He didn't have a tree, right? This picture behind you, not biblically factual, okay? Just, it's sentimental, it's not historical, all right? So, but we're talking about this year, the light has come. And when the light comes, it will always make a difference for us and it will always lead us into paths and experiences of life. So we're gonna start this morning in Isaiah chapter nine. This is a, a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah given 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he's telling us uh, what Jesus is going to do and who he's going to be and then how that's gonna change our lives. So we're gonna look at that real quickly. And then we've left a little bit of time, uh, a little more than normal at the end of our service for us to kind of respond to some of these things that, that hopefully God is saying to us through this passage. So if you have a Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. If not, it'll be on the screens for you. Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at a harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders." And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah talks to us about a couple things that, that we'll just walk through here and, and kind of see what he was talking to in some cases to his original audience and then how those things apply to us and how ultimately Jesus is the fulfillment of every word that we just read there. So Isaiah begins by talking about how the, the darkness is painful for us, right? He doesn't, and, and nowhere in the scriptures is it advocated for us to deny our current reality, right? To be a follower of Jesus is not to pretend that painful seasons of life are not painful, it's not to refuse to acknowledge when you're sick, hurt, broke, or in need, because that, that doesn't make any difference. That's still your reality. What Isaiah is telling us is even in the darkness, there is hope. Now, the darkness exists for a couple reasons. If, if you go and, and read through the entire book of Isaiah this week, you'll find that um, a lot of his time is spent telling the people, you have turned away from God. You've turned away from the light of his revelation. You've turned away from the path of life he's called you to live on, and you've chosen to embrace the darkness. And so throughout Isaiah, he is warning the nation of Israel, if you continue on this path, it will lead to your destruction. It will lead to the loss of everything you hold dear, the loss of everything you love. And so because of messages like that, Isaiah and some other Old Testament prophets, they sometimes get a bad rap as just these angry old men just out mad at the world and yelling at everyone. 
But that's not what Isaiah is doing. What he's doing is saying, look, if you will follow the path of God, it will lead you in light and it will lead you in life. But if you reject his light, you're also rejecting his life and he will allow the natural consequences of your behaviors to be experienced by you. So he begins to show us there are two paths. The the scriptures teach us this again and again and again. There's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. And light always leads us to life. But the darkness, we choose to embrace it for some all kinds of reasons. Some of us, we choose it willfully. We choose it joyfully. We decide that we would rather live uh, as our own savior, as our own king, as our own Lord, than submit to Jesus and his authority and his leading and his guiding. And so what the scriptures teach us is if we choose to live that way, God will allow it, but he will also allow the consequences of those behaviors to be experienced by us. And we know what that's like. We have chosen the path of sin at times and we have reaped the consequences of it. And those consequences are physical, they're spiritual, they're mental, they're emotional, they're relational. When we walk in darkness, we bring darkness with us wherever we go. Right? But, but even in the nation of Israel, there were people at the time who had remained faithful to the Lord. Isaiah's prophesying, turn and repent and God will restore and renew you. If you don't, you're going to be destroyed. And yet there's this faithful remnant of people in Israel. And they are serving the Lord and they are trusting the Lord, but they're being affected by the the dark choices of their fellow countrymen, their friends, their family, their neighbors. For you and I, the, the same thing happens. Sometimes the darkness comes in through our own choices. Sometimes the darkness comes in through the choices of others. Sometimes the darkness comes in just because we live in a world that's been tainted by sin. And so you know what it is to experience pain, to experience hurt, to experience betrayal because someone else sinned. Someone else chose the darkness, right? And and when we do that, our sin always has this ripple effect and it goes farther and affects more people than we ever thought that it would. One of the lies the enemy enemy will tell you every time he's trying to tempt you to sin is you can do this and it's not going to hurt anyone. But it always hurts you and it's always going to hurt someone else. So Isaiah is telling us, look, there is this space and, and he calls it distress, it says, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. And there's an acknowledgement here that for God's people, both those who are, are actively following him, those who've turned away from him, and even people who've never known him, there are going to be distressing seasons and situations in life. And what the scriptures advocate to us and what Isaiah is telling us here is, we don't have to pretend they're not distressing. You don't have to act like the things that bother you don't bother you. That's not what God is calling you to do. But Isaiah starts to point us towards a hope. He says, there will be no more gloom in your distress. And that idea is important for us to think about for a minute. That gloom, the word he uses there, it describes that feeling, that weight that sits on you, that rests on you when life is going bad. Right? When you're struggling at work, in a relationship, when you've made poor choices, when you've done other things, it's that pit in your stomach that keeps you up at night, that wakes you up early in the morning. Right? It's, it's that, that weight of depression that settles down on your shoulders and your heart and your mind that, that keeps you from eating, that keeps you from pursuing the things that God is telling you to do. Distress for people who are separated from God will always be accompanied by gloom. It will settle down deep in your soul. But what Isaiah says is there will be no more gloom in your distress. It doesn't say that all the distressing circumstances and situations will be gone, but you will experience them differently. And the reason you will experience them differently is because the light will come. He says in verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He's, he's telling us, look, the light always shines in your darkness. And it shines on you whether you're looking for it or not. He presents two different ideas here. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So people who, who seem to maybe they're on a path, they're searching for the light, they're looking for the light. And, and we'll see this in a couple weeks. We'll look at how the light comes to the wise men, right, who are living in the dark, but they are actively searching for wisdom. They're searching for light. They're searching for a king. But then he also says, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned and, and points us towards this idea of when you're, when you're not even looking for it. When you have no thought that there could be light, when it's never even entered your mind that there's another way of life possible, in that space, the light of God has dawned on you. Right? And, and this is wonderful news for us because we're really good at excusing ourselves from the promises of Scripture. And saying, well, I know the light shines on some people because they're better than I am because they didn't promise God they want to do the thing and then they did the thing. And they did that a hundred times and, you know, I've done it a thousand times. And so, of course, he's, he's done with me. And we, we tell ourselves all kinds of lies of I've went too far, I've gone too deep, my sins are too many, it's corrupted my identity too much, I, I'm not just kind of walking through the darkness, I have settled down here. And that's where this, this phrase, those living in the land of deep darkness. And Isaiah's given us a picture of not just somebody who feels a little oppressed, not just somebody who is a little sad, who's a little uncertain about their circumstances, who feels like there's some shadows creeping in. He's saying, no, no, no. On those who have went and built their homes in the darkness, they've laid the foundations, they've established their life. Everything they have is built on the darkness. Those living in the land of deep darkness. He says, light has dawned. The arrival of Christ is God's final announcement that there is nowhere in the world his light is not shining. To everyone, everywhere, before we ever gave a thought towards him, he is shining his light on us. This is why for, for us as followers of Jesus, it gives us comfort to talk with others about our faith because you might be really scared to talk to that coworker, that friend, that family member. But listen, God's light has already been shining in their life. Now he's giving you the privilege of coming alongside and you're putting some language to the things he's doing in their spirit that they don't even understand. His light is always shining and we can't do anything to extinguish it. I think back for, for those of you who maybe you're a little older, think back to when you were a teenager. Those of you who are teenagers, this will be easy because think back to Friday, okay? Um, so, or maybe you're a parent of a teenager, but, but do you remember when you were a teenager and it was one of those like glorious summer days or maybe a Saturday where your family had nothing to do and you knew it, right? And so because you knew it, you knew tomorrow morning I can sleep as late as I want and nobody's going to wake me up, right? And, and, and so, of course, because you're a teenager, you then proceeded to stay up till like three o'clock in the morning. What you didn't know was your mom or dad actually had plans for you at eight o'clock Saturday morning that they forgot to tell you about. Right? And, and so they come in your room. Hey, time to get up. We're going to go. You, you are basically dead at this point and don't respond at all. Right? They shake you a little bit. You still don't respond. So they go to the number one parent move uh, of parents everywhere. You go over, you open the curtains, you open the blinds, and you let the light shine in. Right? And in that moment, what did you do as a teenager? Did you roll over and say, thanks, mom. 
I know there are studies showing that waking up to natural sunlight is one of the best things we can do for our bodies. No, you didn't. You groaned, you rolled, you hollered. Some of you probably cussed and then you got kicked, right? But you did everything you could to hide from the light. You thought in your little 15-year-old brain, if I put the pillow over my head tight enough, I can actually reverse the course of the earth and the sun will descend back into darkness. Right? While your parents stood there and thought, if I put the pillow over them tight, and that was a whole nother line of thinking that they were going through. But here's the thing that that you learn as as a teenager is no matter what you do, the light is dawned and they are not leaving until you get out of that bed. Right? It might be annoying. It might be uncomfortable. It might be indifferent. Some of you, this is your every morning experience with your parents. All right. And if that's you right now, grow up a little bit, set your alarm, get up on your set on your own and they'll leave you alone. So that's your solution for it. Okay. But we know you're not going to do that. So they're going to keep singing their morning songs to you. But, uh, it's the way it goes. Right. Any other parents you have annoying morning songs you sing to your kids? Yeah. I don't really like to sing that much, but I sing to them in the morning. They love it. Uh, you know, but, but this is what Isaiah is telling us. When you're in the land of deep darkness, when you're walking in the darkness, the light is already shining. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop it. You can't reverse its course. You can't go deeper into your darkness to escape it. Christ's light always shines. And his light doesn't just shine to illuminate your sin and make you feel bad about yourself, but he says his light actually shines to bring freedom and his light is something you're supposed to respond to. You will respond to with joy. He says you'll rejoice as those who are celebrating a harvest. You'll rejoice as a warrior enjoying the plunder of a battle. And the reason you'll rejoice is because when the light shines in your darkness, it brings freedom. And this is something that that we struggle to understand because we still think that every time God's light shines into our darkness, it's because he wants to embarrass us and humiliate us. And so even this morning, some of you, the the Holy Spirit's going to start to speak to you. And he's going to start to shine his light into the dark corners, the behaviors, the attitudes, the actions, the relationships that you know aren't glorifying God. He's going to begin this process of of stirring. It's going to come way down in your guts and and you're going to get uncomfortable and he's going to start leading you and saying, you need to repent, you need to repent, you need to repent. As you repent and confess, I'm going to change you and I'm going to bring life. And in that space, we think, no, no, no. God, I'm not, I I know you're mad at me. I'm not going to let you embarrass me. I know you're mad at me. I'm not going to expose uh, all of the the darkness in my life because then no one will ever accept me again. And we, we've accepted this lie from the enemy that God's revelation of light leads to death. But what the scriptures tell us is it leads to life. So my encouragement to you today is as the spirit convicts you, that is if you're actively engaged in sin, conviction is a gift from God to you. And you need to lean into that pain and let him lead you through an experience of light and life instead of continuing to run away from it. The worst thing in the world is not for your sin to be exposed. It's for you to keep living in slavery to it. And what Isaiah prophesies about the arrival of Christ is his light's going to shine into your deepest darkness. And in that space, he's going to bring freedom. He says in verse 4, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Isaiah is reminding Israel that what he's done in the past, he's going to do again. He's pointing them back to the story of of Gideon when the the nation has been invaded by the, the Midianites and God comes and with this small group of 300 men leads this miraculous deliverance. 
And he's saying when Jesus comes, he will achieve that great of a victory and more for you. Now, when Isaiah gives this prophecy, the people are 700 years away from receiving it. So what Isaiah is doing is he's pointing them towards the past and saying, look what God did. And he's using that to anchor their hope for the future of what God will do. You and I stand in a different space. We look back at what God did for Gideon and the Midianites. We look back at what he did through Isaiah's prophecy. We look back at the fulfillment of Christ. And now the space we have to apply is now what Jesus has promised and said he will do for us. And so we have all of these other stories. That's why we, we constantly are pushing of, hey, get into a home group, get into a small group, make some real authentic friendships where you can be open and honest with each other. Because as you learn the stories of others, of how God came and did these things, he shattered the weight that burned you down, right? He removed the bar from your shoulders. He crushed the things that oppressed you. As you hear those stories from others, it confirms what Jesus promised he did. He did it for them and he will do it for me. See, the light is not coming just to expose you. The light is coming to save you. It's coming to lead you into a life of victory, a life of freedom, a life full of rejoicing and joy instead of walking around in shame and guilt, hoping your secrets are never found out. Isaiah goes on to tell us that the light is not just a force, but it's a person. He says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Jesus is the presence of God's light in the world. For us to ask for his light to come is to ask for his person, his, his presence to come. He also tells us the light is powerful. He says the government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah uses an, an analogy here that I think is easy for us to understand. So it was common for kings, for people in power in Isaiah's day to rise to authority and then to quickly um, delegate all of their significant tasks and responsibilities to other people. And the reason they would do that is so that they weren't burdened down by the day-to-day -day affairs of their nation or their business, and they were free to enjoy the leisure and the luxury that came from their position. And, and you and I have seen this as well. When, when someone kind of climbs up the ladder at work, from, from the perspective of those who work for them, sometimes it looks like they are just constantly giving away all of the responsibility and all the real jobs, and, and, and you're left kind of wondering, like, what do they actually pay you to do? Right? Like you've assigned this to that vice president and this to that vice president and this to that manager and this to that director. And it appears that your high level leadership meetings uh, are really helping your golf game. Like, you know, and so we kind of kind of live in that space. And, and I know if, if you're in charge, it's, it's not that, right? You delegate because you've got bigger headaches that you're dealing with. But what Isaiah tells us is when Jesus comes, he says, the government will rest on his shoulders. And what he means is that Jesus' shoulders will be big enough and broad enough that he comes with both the desire and the ability to perfectly rule, reign, and execute his will in every part of your life. He's not delegating any part of your life to the oversight of anyone else, but he is actively involved in every single aspect of your life. His light shines and he wants it, to sh wants it to shine everywhere. And his authority is enough and his shoulders are big enough that he can handle the weight of making sure his light shines completely in my life, in your life, in the life of everyone, everywhere. It, it's tremendously good news to us that Jesus doesn't shine his light from a distance, but he comes right down and gets in the middle of it with us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And then Isaiah gives us four titles to further describe who Jesus is and what he does for us. He says he'll be our wonderful counselor, 
our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. His presence is, is so powerful, his life so transformative, that Isaiah uses these four titles that are commonly attributed to God to teach us about the divinity of Christ, and also to teach us about how that works itself out and what it means for us. Now, last year during Advent, we walked through each of these things on their own. So we spent a week on Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you, I know a lot of you have joined us since last year, so rather than me re-preaching that, because, well, I don't know if anybody would remember it or not, but I would feel guilty at least. Um, so the, you can go to christianchapel.com slash sermons. We're going to talk through these really quick this morning. Um, I'm going to spend just a minute or two on each one, but as we're talking, if something resonates in your heart of, I really need to know God as my wonderful counselor. I really need to learn more about what it means for him to be my everlasting father, to bring peace, any of those things. Uh, so go to christianchapel.com sermons and hit on that hope is born and it'll pull up all those messages. You can go listen through those this week, but we're going to fly through them this morning. If you want more, that's where you can find it. Okay. So the first thing Isaiah tells us is Jesus will be our wonderful counselor. He's our source of supernatural wisdom and comfort. Now, not necessarily counselor in the way we think of you're going to make an appointment, go to their office, talk about your past, blame everything on your mom, and then move on, right? I'm just kidding. Like, I love counselors. I've been to a counselor. I do some counseling, right? So I get that. But what Jesus, as our wonderful counselor, he does comfort us. He does know our past, our present, and our future. But part of his job as our wonderful counselor is to get us from where we are to where he wants us to be. So if you're in a season of life right now where you are not satisfied with where you are, who you are, what you're doing, you need to know him as your wonderful counselor. And his light will shine and it will shine to lead you on the path of life where you will find fulfillment, you'll find meaning, and you'll find joy. He also tells us Jesus comes as our mighty God. The, the literal translation of that phrase is mighty almighty pointing us to the power and the, the authority of Jesus, that he is always bigger, he's always stronger, he is always in charge. And so if you're in a, a space today where your problems feel really big, you need to know him as your mighty God. You need to get a big picture view of who God is because as you lift your eyes up to see him as the one who's over, the one who's under, the one who's surround, is before and after every situation you face, your problems will shrink down to their proper perspective. And you will begin to understand the mighty God not only sees me, knows me, loves me, has a plan for me, but he lives inside of me and gives me the ability to push through this continue, the season, this whatever it is you're dealing with by his strength, by his power, and his glory and his fame will be achieved through that. So he's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's also our everlasting father. Everlasting points us to his grandness, his superiority, that he's before all things. He's after all things. He's in all things, right? It's, it, again, kind of ties in with this idea of mighty God to give us a big picture view of God. But then Isaiah attaches the term father to teach us not only is he big, but he's also close. He's concerned and he's compassionate. And you might've never had that modeled by your dad here on earth. But he's telling us Jesus comes not just as your prophet, your preacher, your role model. He comes as an expression of the Father to you. To show you, I see you, I know you, I care about you, I'm concerned about you. I have a plan and I'm going to work that plan. And the last thing he says is he comes as our Prince of Peace. Meaning everywhere Jesus rules and reigns, he brings his peace with him and he makes his peace available to us. It's wonderful news. It's what we spent the last couple weeks talking about. Amy, Amy talked about it last week. He's the God of every hill and every valley. 
And in every hill and every valley, he brings peace. And it comforts us in our seasons of loss, of grief, of frustration and suffering, that in those spaces, we can have a peace that's beyond our ability to to explain, beyond our ability to understand, but we can definitely experience it. And even when God doesn't change our circumstances, he will settle our souls with his peace. When the light shines, it reveals who Jesus is and the revelation of Jesus will always settle our souls in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And then Isaiah concludes by assuring us this is going to happen. Remember, he's giving this prophecy 700 years before Jesus comes. So there are, there are people who they grow up and their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their great-great-great-great-grandparents. They had heard the prophecy of one day a child will be born. One day a son will be given. And for generation after generation, it did not happen. Nothing was changing. And it's it's... It's reasonable for us to assume that at points along the way, there were people who thought maybe Isaiah just got it wrong. Maybe he just missed that one little section. And and it's almost as if he expects this. And and writing under the inspiration of God, he says in verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And he's telling us, this is going to happen, right? He says, there will be no end. He will reign. For you and I, we we know the prophecy has been fulfilled. We know Jesus has come, and yet we still face a similar question at times. Will he actually do it for me? Will he come and lead me from where I am to where he wants me to be? Will he come and reveal himself as the one who's greater, stronger, bigger than all of my problems? Does he actually want to be my everlasting father or am I destined to be the the, the alone, the orphan, the the neglected? Can he really bring peace into my circumstances because my life is really messed up right now? And just like those people for 700 years would have wondered, did Isaiah get it wrong? We wonder at times, did Jesus get it wrong? Did he mean he's the light of the world for everybody but me? Because I feel like I'm still walking in darkness. And there's this last line that Isaiah gives us where we anchor our hope this morning. He says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And that that this ties back into everything he has said. That his light's gonna shine into your darkness. That his light's gonna bring freedom and salvation and lead to your rejoicing. That he's going to come as your counselor. He's going to come as your father, as your mighty God, as your prince of peace. And the reason he's going to come is because he has promised he will do it. God shining his light in your life has absolutely nothing to do with you. All we do in this process is continually turn towards the darkness. And God's response is to continually shine his light on us. And Isaiah gives us this last line to hang on to, and I feel like it would have given them such great hope for 700 years. It gives us great hope today in the midst of our darkness. The zeal of the Lord. Zeal means passion. God is passionate about keeping his promises to you in your life. 
He has promised to shine his light in your darkness. He has promised to be your wonderful counselor. He has promised to be your mighty God. He's promised to be your everlasting father. He's promised to be your prince of peace. And he has attached his name and his fame to your experience of all of these things. It does not rest in you. It does not rely on you. God has promised it. He extends it. We receive it. The light has come. The light is coming and the light will come. And the light always leads us to a point of response. When God's light shines, we make a decision. Yes, I'm going to walk in it. No, I'm going to reject it. And those are the only two options. He doesn't leave us a third way of kind of dancing in and out of the shadows as it suits us. He says the light is shining. And for some of us today, the light is shining and springing conviction. And it's powerful and it's uncomfortable, but it's good. For some of you, the light is shining for the first time. And you're recognizing I've lived my whole life in darkness. I live my whole life outside the presence, the guidance of Jesus. And he's revealing his light and saying, just take this step of faith. Trust me, my way is better. And he brings you to that point of decision of of will you surrender to him? or Will you keep going on your own path? For some of you, the light shines and and you're having to acknowledge for the first time that, that your problems are not bigger than him. That the things that happen to you are not going to dictate who you are for the rest of your life. He's telling you, I'm your wonderful counselor. I'm going to lead you out of where you are into where I want you to be. And you've got a choice to make. Are you going to follow him on this path? Are you going to keep living over here in your excuses? The light always demands a decision. But the light always leads to life. My prayer for you, not just this week, not just today, but but all this year has been, God, shine your light into our darkness. In your mercy and grace, will you reveal the depths of sin in us so that we can experience the true joy and freedom that are only found in you? Don't settle for just a religious life. Don't settle for just managing your sins. Let God's light shine. Let it shine deeply. Let it shine thoroughly. Don't turn away from it, but receive it as a sign of his grace and his mercy. I want to pray for us this morning. Then the band's going to lead us back. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in a space this morning where you need God's light to shine in your life, maybe that's for any reason at all. But you know life is hard. Life is difficult. You are in need of his light. Will you raise your hand where you are so I know who I'm praying for? We're just saying, God, we need your light to shine. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, you see our needs. You see our situations. Jesus, we ask this morning that your light would come and we would receive it as a sign of your mercy and grace. I pray for those, Lord, right now who are experiencing the the deep conviction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, will you lead them to repentance? Take away the fear that they feel of being exposed Take away their fear of what might be lost and show them, Lord, that in the light there is life. In darkness, there is only death, there is only destruction. 
the only way out is to let the light of Christ shine. So Jesus, will you do that? Will you give us courage to believe you, courage to obey you, courage to follow you? Lord, I pray for those who are here and they've never made that decision to surrender their lives to you. Today, may they take their first steps in that process. Lord, we thank you that your light is shining on us in these moments. Pushing away the darkness, setting us free. Lord, I pray for those who are here who they, they feel bound up, they feel conquered and defeated by their sin. This morning, Lord, will your spirit bring freedom, hope, and wholeness to them. Will you break every chain? Will you break every addiction? Will you pierce through every lie that they've believed about who they are and what they've done? Lord, as your light shines, bring freedom. Lift the weight off their shoulders. Break the rods of those who oppress them. Set them free from every addiction. Jesus, let there be light in our lives. Let there be light in our marriages, in our families. Let your light shine in the relationship between a mother and a daughter, between a father and a son. Let your light shine in the lives of our friends, our family members who are far from you and want nothing to do with you. In every space and every place, may your light dawn. May it draw us to you and to your life. In Jesus' name. You'll stand with us. The band's going to lead us in a, a couple songs this morning to just give us an opportunity to respond to what the Lord is doing. So, so I want to give you a, a couple ways you can do that. You can head out the back doors to the left. Some of our prayer team members will meet you in the prayer room. They're ready to pray personal prayers with you about the way God's light needs to shine in your life. For some of you, as we sing, it's going to be an opportunity for you to respond, to hear the Holy Spirit saying that light has come and is coming. If you'd like to, to come and find yourself a spot to pray alone at the front or in your seat, you're welcome to do that as well. But we want to take the next 10 or 15 minutes and, and just create some space in our hearts, some, some time in our calendars to focus on the arrival of the light of Christ in our life and the freedom and salvation it brings to us. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.